are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. I did not say things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear me now. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you in, into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm excited to continue on in our next section in our Seeing Jesus series in the Gospel of John. And I'm especially uh, excited because my friend Mike Jones is here today to bring God's word to us. Uh, Mike is one of the pastors at Sterling Park Baptist Church, uh, who we have a relationship with and have for many years now. Uh, Mike's been here a few times to preach and is always encouraging. I'm always encouraged by uh, the word that he brings from God's word. And so I know that you'll be blessed as well as we dive into this section of scripture. Uh, and so before you come up, Mike, let me pray for you. And then, uh, and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, we give you thanks just for this opportunity we have to, to be together. We give you thanks for this opportunity we have to open up your word now. And God, I pray that as your word is open, that as Mike comes and preaches, God, that you would... Fill him with your Holy Spirit, that you'd make us attentive to your Spirit. Help us to receive what you would want to say to us today as we talk about your Spirit. God, we need you. We're desperate for you. And I pray right now that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see, see our Savior. And that because we do that, our affections for Christ would grow. And as we go out from here, that you'd give us boldness to proclaim the good news of grace we've received in and through him to our neighbors and the nations. God, bless my brother as he preaches. Give him encouragement and strength in this moment. May be he empowered by your spirit and give a, a word to us today that's not just because he's a good speaker or because he spent time preparing, but because he is a man filled with your spirit, made alive in Christ. May his confidence be in you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come up and preach for us, brother? Well, good evening. Uh, bring you greetings from Stellan Park Baptist Church. It's, uh, it's really good to be back with you all to open up God's Word. I'd encourage you to uh, keep John chapter 16 in front of you. Uh, we all love a great plot twist, don't we? Uh, so there's nothing quite like being engrossed of a, in a story and then all of a sudden, bang, a twist, an unexpected surprise that leaves us with our eyes wide open and our jaws on the floor. So whether it's discovering that uh, the bad guy was the good guy's father all along, 
or the, the main character has been dead from the beginning, or that the planet of the apes was really planet Earth all along. You know, we just love to be surprised. And so our passage this afternoon should really grab our attention because Jesus says something it's so shocking, so surprising that really our jaws should hit the floor. So at this point in John's gospel, Jesus, he's been giving his disciples some sobering news. So he's, he's informed them that the world is going to hate them. That they're going to be despised, disregarded, disowned. They're going to be thrown out of the synagogues. They're about to be treated with the same kind of hostility that Jesus himself has received. In verse 2 of chapter 16, Jesus says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And to make matters worse, Jesus keeps telling them that he's leaving. So he says, he says it again in verse 5 of our passage. He says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. Now, Jesus, he's he's not simply leaving town. He's leaving the planet. He's going back to his father. So he's about to die for the sins of his people. He's about to be resurrected from the grave, and he's going to ascend to the right hand of the throne of God. Now, now we might think that the disciples would be interested to know more details about all this. You know, like, what do you mean you're you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to go back to the Father? Where exactly is that? And why, why are you leaving? But they're silent. They're dumbfounded. They're, they're overcome with grief. In verse 6, Jesus sees that sorrow has filled their hearts. You know, it's one thing to learn that the world is going to hate and persecute you. It's another thing to learn that Jesus won't be by your side when it happens This is the Jesus whose powerful word has calmed the storm, cast out demons, silenced critics, raised Lazarus from the dead. Wait, he's leaving them? Now? When things are about to get crazy? I mean, no wonder they're distraught. But then Jesus drops another bombshell in verse 7. He says something so surprising, so shocking that it, it almost sounds heretical. Like if somebody else said it, you, you'd probably co- try and correct them. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's for your benefit that I'm leaving. It, it's, it's for your good that I'm going to the Father. I mean, just let that sink in a moment. So the disciples are about to be persecuted. Most of them are going to be martyred. They're about to be sent onto the front lines of the battle. And Jesus says, it's better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Better without Jesus? Better without Jesus? Like, how on earth can that be true? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 7, look again at verse 7. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
Jesus isn't leaving them alone. He's sending someone else, the helper. Now, this isn't the first time uh, that you've come across this person in John's gospel, is it? Uh, So in chapter 14, Jesus spoke about the helper in verses 16 and 25. He spoke about him again in chapter 15, verse 26. Uh, The Greek word is parakletos, and it, it describes a person who comes alongside another so different, different translations help, help uh, highlight some of the various nuances of this word, of what a parakletos would do. So, so if we're using that ESV, most of us, I guess, today, and so they use the word helper. If some translations use the word counselor. If some translations use the word comforter. Some even use the word advocate. And all these are good translations. As we've already seen from chapter 14, the helper is none other than God, the Holy Spirit. Now, now in order to see the benefit of Jesus sending the Spirit, we, we need to understand something. So the Holy Spirit, he is, he's not a downgrade from Jesus. You know, he, he's not like Jesus' understudy. You know, like if you, if you went to see Hamilton and, and as you took your seat, you overheard that Lin-Manuel Miranda was sick, you know, but don't worry, in his place, the understudy, We'll play, we'll, we'll play Hamilton. You know, you, you'd be rightfully disappointed. You know, you'd feel a bit shortchanged, you know, like, or maybe, you know, you came here this afternoon and you thought Justin was preaching, but instead you found out it was me and you just rightfully feel shortchanged. But, you know, in, in trading places with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, he's not shortchanging his disciples so that the Spirit is fully God. He is equal with the Father and the Son in power and glory and honor. And, and the coming of the Spirit is, is not just a footnote in history. You see, throughout the Old Testament, in the mountain range of God's promises, the coming of the Spirit was one of the highest peaks. So by, by sending His Spirit, God was ushering in a new age, an age where God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And we'll see how that will happen in verses 8 to 11. So Jesus gives us a window into the work of the helper, helping us understand how it is that God's salvation, God's kingdom will reach the very ends of the earth. So look at verse 8. He says, And when he comes, when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict there is used 18 times in the New Testament, and and it always has to do with showing someone their sin. And and more often than not, it also includes with it a call to repentance. The Spirit will expose the sin of the whole world. And and as as you you might know, the Greek word for world there is cosmos. And in John's gospel, it, it always refers to the world in rebellion against God. And this is the only place in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is said to be at work in the unbelieving world. And notice that his work will include three things. So first, he will convict the world concerning sin, verse 9. Specifically, the sin of not believing in Jesus. So one aspect of the Spirit's work is to press home the sin of unbelief. Now, maybe you can testify to this work in your own life. So maybe you can remember a time when 
you heard the good news of Jesus. You know, it, it wasn't even the first time. You, you, you'd heard that news many times before, but for some reason, this time was different. Your unbelief all of a sudden just felt wrong and you felt convicted, condemned, exposed. But what changed? What brought about that conviction? Well, it was the Holy Spirit, the helper, helping you see the, the sin of your unbelief. Secondly, the Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness, verse 10. It might be better to think of righteousness in quotation marks here. So that is the world's lack of righteousness. So one of Jesus' roles in coming to earth was to expose the empty righteousness of humanity. I mean, that's why he's always butting heads with the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day, isn't it? To expose our darkness by his light. But now, verse 10, Jesus is going to the Father. The disciples will see him no longer. The light of the world is no longer going to be physically present in the world. Therefore, how will the world see that their righteousness is inadequate? Well, it's by the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, maybe you can testify to this work in your own life. So maybe you always thought of yourself as a pretty good person. And compared to most people, you were. But then you read the Bible, or you heard a sermon, and you got a glimpse of the holiness of God. You saw the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, you didn't seem all that impressive. You realized that your goodness wasn't good enough to save you, that your righteousness couldn't make you right before a holy God. And like the prophet Isaiah, you cried out, woe is me. What brought about that conviction? Well, it was the Holy Spirit, the helper, helping you see that you have fallen short of the glory of God, helping you see that your righteousness cannot save you. Thirdly, the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment, verse 11. So at the cross, Jesus is about to triumph over the devil. His death and resurrection will bring about Satan's defeat. The ruler of the world stands condemned. And his judgment is a wake-up call to the world. If the ringleader of evil is condemned, this includes all that do his bidding. You know, if the, if the father of lies is judged, then so will his children be. Once again, maybe you can testify to this work of the Spirit in your own life. So maybe the reality of future judgment has weighed heavily on you. You know that a day is coming when you'll be held accountable for your sins. And the thought of standing before a holy God is terrifying. Well, what is bringing about that conviction? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, the helper, helping you see that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, if you're here this afternoon and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, yet for some reason you can't quite explain, you feel some sense of conviction. Conviction about your sin, conviction about your lack of righteousness, conviction that a day is coming when you'll be judged. Then don't ignore it. 
Listen, left to your, your own, you would never, ever feel convicted about your sin. You'd never realize how unrighteous you are. You'd never feel the weight of God's coming judgment. So if you feel any conviction whatsoever about those things, then that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart right now. Don't ignore him. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. Believe in him for salvation. Trust that his righteousness alone can make you acceptable before God. He alone can save you from the coming judgment. So come to Christ today. And if you are a Christian, then, then I want you to see that you are a pro- you're a fulfillment of Jesus' promise here. You are living proof that the helper has come. And that should excite you. It should lead you to praise Jesus for sending his spirit, to praise the spirit for working in your heart. And it should also encourage you if you've been sharing the gospel with somebody that you know and they haven't responded. That's not up to you to change their hearts. This is what the Spirit is doing in the world and what only the Spirit can do. You can't convict somebody's heart. Only the Spirit can do that. So keep praying and keep sharing Jesus with people. This is the work of the Spirit in the world. And it helps us understand why Jesus calls him the helper. So the word helper there, it captures the idea that people are not self-sufficient. You know, self-help, biblically speaking, is an oxymoron. We need help from something outside of ourselves. We need God himself to send his spirit to convict our hearts, to, to press home the sin of unbelief, to expose our lack of righteousness, to wake us up to God's coming judgment. <laughs> I mean, Wow, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? I mean, without him, we have no hope. Without him, we'll die in our sins. You know, if we're honest, I think, I think we struggle to believe Jesus' words in verse seven, don't we? That it's, it's to our advantage that he's gone away. So I, I have a four-year-old daughter and it, like most kids her age, she tries to find reasons to stay up late. And and she's figured out that if she asks us questions about God, then my wife and I will always make time to talk. Maybe some of you parents have that as well. You know, she's already figured out how to manipulate us. And so here's an example from just the other night. So I put her to bed. I read her a book. we, We sang. We prayed. And just as I'm about to shut the door, she says, Daddy, is Jesus really real? And inside, I'm like, I know what you're doing. But on the outside, I'm like, of course he's real, baby. Why'd you ask? And she's like, well, if he's real, why can't I see him? And in that moment, I thought, man, it'd be so much easier if Jesus was still on earth. I could just show her a clip on YouTube. You know, we could just jump on a plane and go visit him. At that moment, I thought, is it really to our advantage that Jesus has gone away? And I think we've all wrestled with this, right? So like how many of us have thought, oh, if only Jesus was, or if only I was, I was there when Jesus walked the earth. Like if only I saw him walk on water 
or heal the paralytic or raise Lazarus from the dead. If only I could have seen him in the flesh and heard him preach and ask him my questions, it would just be so much easier to believe. I'd be such an amazing Christian. Yet Jesus says that's not true. He insists that it's better to be alive now, after he's gone away, after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's absolutely right. I mean, you've been going through John's gospel as a church, haven't you? Think about how many people just didn't get it when Jesus was here. I mean, they saw Jesus in the flesh. They heard him preach. They asked him their questions. They witnessed his miracles. Yet they still didn't believe. Seeing doesn't necessarily mean believing. Our failure to trust in Jesus is not down to a lack of physical evidence. It's because our hearts are blinded by sin. And so we need the Spirit to convict our hearts and reveal the beauty of Christ to us. And that's what the Spirit has been doing throughout the world since Jesus died, since Jesus rose again, since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's been convicting sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation, old and, old and young, rich and poor, male and female. I mean, that's why Christianity is the world's largest religion. It's because the Spirit's been sent. It's the only reason. And the Spirit is at work right now. He's at work in this room. But He's not limited to this room. At the very same time, He's at work across the country, across the continent, across the globe. So think about that a second. When Jesus walked the earth as a human being, He had physical limitations. He couldn't be in two places at once. And that meant that his ministry was limited. He could only speak to, heal, and minister to a, a certain amount of people each day. So think about how in like Mark chapter two, for example, Jesus was teaching in his home. And we read there, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door. So picture like he's teaching in a room. It's so crowded. People are like out, they're stuck outside. They can't even like get a glimpse of him. And, and it's, it's so crowded and people are so desperate to see Jesus. You know the story. Some people have a friend who's a paralytic and they need him to see Jesus. So they climb on the roof and they remove the roof and lower him down. You know, it, that, that's how difficult it was to see Jesus. People had to travel, often hundreds of miles, fight through the crowds just to get a glimpse. You know, my dad and I grew up playing golf together and one year he got tickets for us to see the Open, which is one of the four biggest golf tournaments of the year. If you're from the UK, it's the biggest golf tournament of the year. And so uh, we, were, we were really excited to go, especially because we were gonna to get to see Tiger Woods in the flesh. So we were, we were so excited because, I mean, I was very excited because growing up, Tiger Woods was like the best golfer ever. And so I was so excited to finally see him in the flesh. The problem is 
or the problem was, so was everybody else. And so I remember hearing that Tiger Woods was about to tee off. And so I made my way eagerly to the first tee. And I just envisioned him kind of like walking up, kind of seeing me, giving me a wink, and then just sending one, you know, driving up the, up the first fairway. But the thing is, when I got to the first hole, like there were thousands of people. I couldn't get near the tee. I couldn't get near the hole. Like I couldn't even see him. And so I went to the, the second hole, thousands of people just waiting for him. The third hole, same thing. I had to go to like the seventh hole just to, just to get anywhere near a place where Tiger Woods might walk past. You know, I think I saw him twice that day. It was really hard to even get close to him. Like imagine Jesus was walking the earth now. Imagine trying to get a glimpse of him amongst the crowds. Imagine trying to book him for your men's retreat. Imagine trying to have him as your guest preacher. You'd have no chance. You'd still be stuck with me. You know, but in, in sending his spirit, Jesus' work on earth is, is no longer limited. By his spirit, Jesus is continuing his work in every corner of the globe. Like, have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen what happens when you pour hot water in liquid nitrogen? So maybe kids, you've, you've, you might have done this as a science experiment or you, you might have seen it on YouTube. Um, if you haven't, you should look it up. It's pretty cool. And so basically what happens, if you, if you pour hot water into liquid nitrogen, it just creates this big explosion. Like a huge cla- cloud just blasts up and out and it just fills the room. Well, that's kind of what Jesus has done in sending the Spirit. His ministry at one time limited to the ancient Near East has exploded and it's filling the entire world as the Spirit convicts and saves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But Jesus isn't done in our passage. So in verses eight to 11, we learn about the Spirit's ministry to the world. But then in verses 12 to 15, we learn about his ministry to the apostles. And there's actually a a connection between the two So if you remember what Jesus has already told his disciples at the end of chapter 15, he says in verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Jesus says that his apostles will bear witness about him. They'll proclaim the truth about Jesus to the world. Really? These guys? Like the ones who have no idea what's going on most of the time? The ones that don't even understand what Jesus is talking about? These are the people Jesus has chosen to change the world? Well, that's a plan that's destined to fail unless they have a helper. And in verse 12, Jesus says that he still has many things to say to them, but he recognizes that they can't bear them now. Until the spirit comes, they just won't get it. It won't sink in. It won't make sense. However, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he says, he'll guide them into all the truth. 
He will speak Jesus' words to them. He'll declare to them everything they need to know. He'll interpret for them the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He'll press home to them everything they need in order to testify to the world. Notice the unity of God in display in these verses. Look at verse 15. Everything the Father has is given to the Son. Everything the Son has, he gives to the Spirit. And then the Spirit will declare it to the apostles. And everything he declares to the apostles is to glorify Jesus. And the apostles will take everything the Spirit has told them and he'll declare it to the world. They'll be his witnesses. And it's through their message that the Spirit will bring conviction and salvation. Now we see the initial fulfillment of all this at Pentecost. So you might remember in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit poured out on God's people. And there's a huge crowd of people, Luke says, from every nation under heaven. And they're confused about what's happening. And so Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. He tells them that Jesus, the one whom they crucified, is now risen. And he's ascended to the right hand of God. And he's poured out the Spirit. And that's what they're witnessing. And here's what we read in Acts 2.37. Now, when they heard this, when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, this is what the Spirit does through the message of the apostles. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's nice for those 3,000 people, but how does that benefit us? After all, the apostles aren't here anymore. But, but here's the thing. Do you want to know what the Spirit declared to the apostles? Well, it's in here. It's John's gospel. It's the book of Acts. It's Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters. It's the New Testament. Therefore, we're actually benefiting from the Spirit's ministry now. What we're doing as we gather together under God's word is a fulfillment of these purposes, of these verses, sorry. As we receive the apostles' message Jesus is being glorified through the ministry of the Spirit. You know, as we, as we finish, I think there's something really encouraging in all this. You know, God, God often feels distant, doesn't he? It, it can seem like he's not really involved in our lives. It, we might think that he's not actually present, he's not doing much. But I think that's often because we don't, we don't recognize what he is doing. We don't recognize how it is that God works. We don't know what signs to look for when we're trying to figure out, is God really present in my life? You know, so we look for things like fuzzy feelings for some reason. We look for 
things that are a bit more glitzy and, and maybe cool, a bit more obvious, I don't know. But I think the Bible is very clear about what we should look for in terms of trying to find God at work in our lives. And I think if we, if we, if we don't realize that, we, we'll miss out on so many opportunities for fellowship and joy. For example, are you trusting in Jesus today? Well, that, if you are, that is because the Spirit is at work in you right this very second. Not just like one time in the past, but now. Like if, if the Holy Spirit wasn't at work in you right this very second, you'd fall away. You'd trust in something else. You know what your heart's like. You know what we just sang? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You'd leave, you wouldn't come back. If you trust in Jesus right now, that's the Holy Spirit. Have you said no to sin recently? I mean, was there a temptation that you fled from? Well, that's because the Spirit was at work in you in that moment. Do you really think you would ever say no to sin in your own strength? <laughs> Don't give yourself that much credit. The only reason you ever say no to sin is because the Spirit is at work in you. I think sometimes, you know, we say no to sin and we just feel bad that we were even tempted in the first place. What we should do is go, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. You just helped me to say no to that sin. Do you understand and love the gospel? But that's because the Spirit is at work in you. The gospel would not make sense to you apart from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian here and you've, exp you've tried to share the gospel with someone, I'm sure you've had that experience where you've been really clear and they just don't get it. And that's where you find that they have actually heard something completely different than what you actually articulated. Why is that? Well, it's not because they're unintelligent. Many times unbelievers are way more intelligent than believers. It's because they don't have the Spirit. If you understand the gospel, if you understand what Jesus did, and not only that, but you actually think, that's good news. I need that. I need Jesus. That's because the Spirit's at work in your life. Have you felt conviction for your sin recently? Have you grown in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Have you become more heavenly minded? When you pray, do you pray to God as your heavenly father? Do you ever go outside, look at creation and think, wow, God's amazing? Like though, though, things like that, they don't come naturally to us. They're evidence of the Spirit's work. And when we recognize that, I think it opens up all sorts of opportunities to fellowship with God and enjoy God. So next time you say no to sin, stop and praise God. Say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're at work in me right this very second. Without you, I'd have given into that sin.
Thanks for your help. Next time you see a glorious sunset and you sense the majesty of God, stop and say, Holy Spirit, thanks for helping me connect the dots there. I'd never see God's glory in this sunset apart from you. If you wake up tomorrow and you still trust in Jesus, even though Monday mornings are terrible, and sometimes it seems like there's nothing good happening in your life, take that moment to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for giving me faith today. Like if you win at work in my heart, right this second, I, I wouldn't trust in Jesus. You know, I think this just opens up so many opportunities in our day to fellowship with the Spirit, to recognize Him at work in our life in so many little but really significant ways, to enjoy His presence. You know, there's a paradox here, isn't it? Jesus had to go away so that He could come closer. When He walked this earth, He was with His people, which was pretty cool. However, in sending his spirit, Jesus is now living in his people. He's with us everywhere we go. And that's why the gospel is so great. We don't just get forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. We get something better. God himself. And there's no greater gift than him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lived and died, rose again and ascended to heaven so that we might receive the Holy Spirit, so that we might have our sins forgiven, have eternal life, but more central to that, we might be reconciled to our God and Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work in the world saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgments. Thank you for your words that you've inspired, that we can look at every day, that we can gather together every Sunday and sit under the preaching of your word as you, Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus and minister to us. We thank you for the myriad of ways that you are at work in our lives, ways that we confess we often overlook, would you help us to be more mindful of the ways in which you are working in us? And would we not only be mindful of those ways, but we would actually use them as a means of fellowshipping with you and enjoying the relationship that we have with you all because of Christ. And we ask all these things in this wonderful name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.